when grief arrives because when you don't know what to do and you don't know what to say, it's awkward, it's uncomfortable, and you can't fix it, the magic answer is just show up. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview inspiring and influential guests who are making their mark on the world and contributing to the greater good. Making your mark big or small is creating a legacy, and it's one of the proven ways we can age with energy and joy. Zestful Aging Podcast is my legacy. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker. Find out more at judybanker.com. And to find out more about this podcast, my web courses, and other offerings, hop on over to zestfulaging.com. And while you're there, sign up for my email newsletter, The Insider, where you will get behind the scenes looks at my interviews and other fun tidbits. Well, you know who I've got right beside me, Sparky, my Jack Russell Terrier, and we have a great show for you today. How can we get more comfortable talking about grief and loss? In her 27-year career as a nurse, Yvonne Heath learned that many of us simply don't know how to grieve. She realized that we live in a grief-phobic society and that our reluctance to talk about our grief causes excessive pain for us and our loved ones. So Yvonne took a leap of faith, left her career, and founded Love Your Life to Death and became an author, speaker, and change maker. Her mission to help people talk about and plan for grief, death, and dying. Welcome to the show, Yvonne. Thank you so much, Nicole. And this is where all the grief phobic people went, oh, I'm out of here. Yeah, that's, <laughs> this, this is going to change the, the yeah. preset. Yeah, change they just, the they're channel. like, yeah. <laughs> let, let me see what makeup hides my wrinkles. I'm going <laughs> to yeah. go that route. Absolutely. That's, that's right. So that's a great place to start. Um, you, you do use the term grief phobic society. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about what that means? Absolutely. I can because I lived it in, in mm-hmm. my in my 27 years of nursing. You know, here we are, the healthcare professionals who are good at grief, right? Nicole, you know that mm-hmm. as a social worker, we're all great at grief. And what we are good at is hiding it, numbing it, drinking red wine to mm-hmm. not feel our pain or, you know, being excessively busy. And it's interesting because... You, you, you don't even know that for me, over 27 years of nursing, it was sort of chipping away at my soul because as I was supporting families and patients and coworkers in their grief and often experiencing my own grief in my life, it was just sort of building inside, right? Because I was going to be strong for everyone. Mm. I was a mom and I was a healthcare professional and I am a woman, hear me roar. I can mm. do all of this until I couldn't do it anymore. And so in kind of stepping back and saying to, to, to my fellow coworkers, which were social workers, doctors, nurses, are we well prepared for grief personally and professionally? And they just kind of looked at me like, 
uh, no, we're terrible at it. And, you know, go do your job. <laughs> mm-hmm. We don't want to talk about this. And so I, I kind of stepped back and said, well, if healthcare professionals are ill-prepared for grief and end of life and then who's teaching communities, <laughs> community members to be prepared for grief and end of life and all the grief of life? And the answer was uh, no one. And mm-hmm. when I went out to the community to have these conversations as well, people would kind of run the other way. I don't want to talk about this. Mm-hmm. And so um, I decided to. <laughs> I took that leap and said, we need to do this differently because in avoiding, we are creating our own excessive suffering. You know, when it comes to grief, we are reactive, not proactive. And I want to change that. Yvonne, it sounds like at the same time you were having this realization in your career, you talk about this in your TED Talk, that you were also experiencing some uh, loss and pain um, Mm. at home. Mm -hmm. Would you have ended up here had you not also been dealing with this in your personal life? Hmm, that's a really good question. Um, And yes, I can say the year was 2010. Mm. (laughs) And I had twins who were little and I was working in chemotherapy and our son, ironically enough, went down a very dangerous road of drugs and addiction as he had grief in his life and didn't know what to do with it. And so, yeah, it was in that moment where I felt heartbroken as a mom overwhelmed in chemotherapy and as a nurse and realizing that people were avoiding me because they didn't know what to do or say Mm -hmm. I needed to do something differently so it's a good question would I have done this otherwise and and maybe not I I may have just continued on my you know in my nursing career suffering excessively Um, but it was like my grief was so compounded in so many ways it was either allow it to destroy me or do something different. So I, I, I am just so grateful that I picked up those pieces of my broken heart and said, I need to do this differently because otherwise I will not survive. Absolutely. I, I think it makes so much sense for, you know, you call yourself a change maker. And I think oftentimes, maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but what I see most times is that the personal and the professional kind of come together. And and then there's this really clear mission um, of I need to do something, um, you know, a, a project initiative, whatever, mm-hmm. just like what you're describing. Let me ask you a question. Um, and you, you'll have to forgive me. You know, I'm a psychotherapist. But yes. I'm so interested in mind body. Um, and I wonder what it felt like to be whole. I mean, I, I myself have had chemotherapy and it is not a party. Um, and, and there's a lot of scared people there, right? And there's a, a, it's a very somber, usually kind of uh, room. Um, and you're carrying this, you're dealing with your son. What was it like in your body? What were it, what were the feelings and the experience of being saturated mm. with grief? I, yeah, wow. I, you know, it's interesting because no matter how long it is, I can still go right back and I can feel it. Mm, yes. <laughs> you know, I can just feel it. it. It was like, it, first of all, there were many times where I was having chest pain that I actually thought I was having a heart attack. 
Mm. And it was actually grief. And I felt paralyzed. Like my body, you know, like it was just sometimes a struggle to actually move. You know, mm. just just a struggle. Heavy. Heavy. My gosh, heavy. So hard to move. And just just this overwhelming body feeling of helplessness, I mm-hmm. guess, is how I can best describe it. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, in the meantime, and you're so right, you know, personally and professionally, we, we are one person. <laughs> personally mm-hmm. and professionally, yet we try to check our personal self at the door and put on our happy face, right, for everyone. And uh, for anyone who knows or has seen the movie Patch Adams, and if you haven't, you must, mm-hmm. um, Patch Adams brought heart and humor, and I'm very funny. I, you, you may not know this yet, but I'm hilarious. And so, <laughs> <laughs> P.S., I'm really funny. Um, but I brought humor and, and silliness and toys and, and costumes to the chemo clinic to emerge. And, and so I still relied on that, and yet I felt like I was dying inside. Oh, my goodness. So much, so much effort. Oh, gosh, so much effort. And, you know, the whole, you know, the the pretend conversation. Hi, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. Okay, well, if you need anything, let me know. Thanks. Yes. And everyone's so relieved that you gave the standard answer because they didn't really want to hear about mm-hmm. it. And, they didn't you know, want you to stop. say, I'm dying oh. inside. Yeah, and they, they want you to pretend you're fine when you're not. And we did it, and that's what we've done, and that's also part of the culture I would like to change because here's the thing, right? And that's like with my TED talk and the whole I just showed up movement. It is not our job to judge or to fix someone's grief, but we can love and support them along the way. And and that is the greatest gift we can give them, validating their story, acknowledging and allowing their story. And I needed to, you know, I needed to have my heart that broken to to sort of step out of my career to be able to see this more clearly. And of course, the greatest gift that I've been given is I I have interviewed hundreds of people Uh, when I wrote my book and I created my online program and my TED talk. I interviewed people. I had I listened. I mean, I listened to stories and I said, what helped you when you were in the deep trenches of grief? And, you know, just to backtrack, grief is not just experienced at end of life. Right. And that's that's what we just think. Somebody dies, you're sad, you're crying. Yes, and Mm -hmm. grief is our mental, physical, and emotional reaction to loss, transitions, and change. Mm. Even good change, there's grief. And, you know, we are, of course, experiencing the mother load of grief right now, Mm -hmm. global Mm -hmm. grief, a a pandemic on top of all the other stuff. And, And so, again, the fact that we don't talk about grief, we don't understand it, we don't know how it it shows up in our body, we don't understand how we process it mentally, physically, emotionally, how important it is to mourn to actually release that. The best thing you can do for your friend is just show up and listen. We don't talk about it before so why should we know that that's the most helpful thing we can do hi listeners a quick interruption to tell you about a powerful tool i actually rediscovered after 15 years that will help you with stress anxiety and depression i'm talking about the meditations from health journeys created by trauma expert bella ruth napperstack When I had to have major surgery many years ago, I listened to these meditations and it was enormously helpful. 
Health journeys meditations are a little different than the run-of-the-mill meditations that you can find on apps. They're scientifically created and are used in over three thousand hospitals. I highly recommend them and I use them myself. You can go to zestfulaging.com or nicolechristina.com and you will see a direct link. I hope you find them helpful and I'm interested in your experience. Now back to the show. What do you think, this might be a, a, a tough question, so, you know, feel free to punt, but what is the cost of unprocessed grief? Ooh, the cost. You know, it, it's so, um, it so affects us in literally every way. And when you think of actual, I will say actual cost, actual physical cost, it is costing our healthcare system. Number one, mm. it is falling apart because, and, and, and that's globally. Like I, I have connected with hospice palliative care internationally. I, this is not a Western culture society. This is everywhere or in many places where, you know, wherever we can have futile medicine, which means we treat people no matter what the outcome and we don't know what to do with grief, death and dying. And so there is literally a cost of continuous treatment when people actually don't really want it how do oh, i know i had i had not thought of that aspect ah. that if you can't really sit with the reality yeah oh. we are indeed powerless and how can we accept this yep. and be with it yeah um that would that would create a very different kind of decision oh you know process 100 percent. and i know, had never considered that well uh, so i it is too, and, and the loss and the cost in that is twofold. Number one, and, and I know this firsthand, I, my, many chemo patients would say to me, I don't want this chemo, I don't want this blood transfusion, I don't want to go to the intensive care, have the surgery, and I would literally look at them and beg them, please tell your family, tell your doctor how you feel. And they'd say, no, they don't want me to give up. And so the actual literal cost of hundreds of thousands of dollars of someone who didn't want that therapy, chemotherapy, whatever, and the cost of not bringing that person home or to hospice and oh. being present at the, this could almost make me cry. I usually make at least one person oh. cry a day, but being present mm. in their dying process at end of life, wherever in the, comfort. One of the most important decisions they'll make. Oh my goodness. And so many missed opportunities and so many, the cost families being ill prepared for this, right? Families fractured beyond repair when everyone thinks that something different should be happening, mm -hmm. right? And then families never speak to each other. Again, they don't support each other through the dying process. The person dies in fear. The family's left in fear. They're stuck in their grief. The cost, I can't even, you know, it's it's just the ripple. Mm -hmm. The ripple of damage, you just how far you you never even can, you don't know because this is not an uncommon Thing. And, and when people read my book, it's hilarious because they're like, oh my gosh, I'm, I need to have these conversations. I need to mm. prepare because, you know, it's a little bit of tough love. I said, here's scenario A and B. I mean, 
you know, we're not meant to live forever. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and, and I don't want to live forever. I want to live the heck out of this life I have now. And, and I take my responsibility of planning my life and planning my end of life and being well prepared for grief as it shows up throughout life. It is my responsibility. You know, that is my responsibility. And, and grief shows up throughout life, even in good things. Grief and joy can coexist, mm-hmm. right? I just moved. We just moved last week. And as I was sweeping our old house where I, I moved to that house and I was a nurse, I left that house as an author, speaker, change maker. That house meant, means so much to me. And oh as I was God. sweeping, I was crying and mm-hmm. saying, I'm going to miss you. And I'm going to, you know, thank you for everything. I'm talking to my house. My, mom, my kids are like, mom, you're talking to the house. I said, yes, I am. I'm thanking this house. Mm-hmm. I love my new house. Grief and joy, right? And, and imagine if we actually understood this imagine if we understood that everyone grieves differently and you know truly living while grieving while dying well or living poorly grieving poorly dying poorly is something we can experience regardless of age race culture sexual orientation ability disability where we live in the world we all wish to live grieve and die well and we can learn from and teach one another Mm. What does that look like, Yvonne? What is a good death? Oh, gosh, I love this question. And you know what? It, it, that is literally, I wrote about that. The first story I heard, um, a nurse came to my house and told me the story of her dad. And I just, I had no idea what I was doing. I was good. I'm going to write a book. I didn't even journal. And this nurse said, I'm going to tell you about my dad. His name is Homer. And I said, well, I want you to come over and tell me because his name's Homer. I already love him. <laughs> this is, <laughs> like, how can I not love him? And she told me his story and I just... It was like I froze and knew what I needed to do for the rest of my life. And I'll tell you in two minutes a little bit about Homer. So Homer lost his sight at the age of 17, but that did not stop him from living his life fully. And he golfed and he bowled and he became an advocate with, for people with disabilities and he had five children. And at the end of his life, when he was nearing end of life, he said, that's it, no more treatment. It's time to plan my death. And he wrote letters for his family. He bought lockets for his ch- his daughters and his wife. He had his son-in-law pick a new suit because he wanted to look good at his visitation. <laughs> he knotted a tie mm. because no one would do it as well as he would. And he had his daughter practice the eulogy that he wrote because he didn't want anyone else putting words in his mouth. <laughs> mm-hmm. And as he was dying, his two daughters were holding his hand and they looked, his daughter Sue looked at him and said, jump dad. And with his loving daughters by his side, he jumped. Now that's what I call a beautiful death. Oh my goodness. (laughs) And we can create that. I make you cry, Nicole, because then I can yes, check out. Oh, good. <laughs> did. And usually it's the other way around. Ah. I have a, a little bit of a reputation <laughs> for that. Me oh, too. my goodness. You know, it's interesting. When I was filling out the three wishes, the, la- is it the five wishes. Mm-hmm. How many wishes is it? There's 
it's an end of life kind of thing. Oh yes, yes. I you think know that what I'm talking about. about. And, yeah. And it was so interesting because I thought it was going to be really like kind of a bummer and Doom morose. And there was something very weirdly. I, I I don't like the word empowering. I think it's overused a yes. lot. But just like you know, what do you want? Music. Yeah. Do you want this? And I said, I'll tell you what I want. I want my family, my dogs, and chocolate available. There you go. A high quality chocolate. I want <laughs> it in the forest. Yeah. I'll shall tell you where I want it because everyone knows I love to walk my dogs in the woods. Mm -hmm. And this is what I want it to look like. And there was something so weirdly and surprisingly liberating about yes. I got to choose. I get to choose that. And it felt very um Oof, I don't even know what word to use, which is unlike me. I, I, I like words, but yep. I just, I, you know, it was just, there was something so, so beautiful it about it. It is beautiful. And this is what, you know, it's interesting because once again, if we can talk about plan and prepare before grief arrives, before end of life, we can give ourselves those moments and our family, we do not have a choice about planning our end of life. What we have the choice about is when we do it and who does it. Somebody has to do it. Mm -hmm. I believe it should be me. And uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I felt, I felt a deep when, uh, like, so we, we've done our, we, we've normalized this in our family, right? And that's the thing that we need to do is normalize this in our culture and across the world just normalize that we do end of life planning regardless of what culture like we need to change everyone dies and mm. it is the the hardest you know one of the hardest parts of this journey is to say to physically say goodbye to people so wouldn't it be in our best interest to Talk about plan and prepare. So we've done that. And every year at tax time, we pull it out and we update and we just, and we, it's matter of fact. Say, mm -hmm. hey, honey, you need, we need to change this here on our advanced care plan here. Oh yeah. You know what? I think uh, your sister should be my power of attorney. My sister lives in San Diego. Like it's not mm -hmm. doom and gloom. It's just a conversation we have annually or when something changes, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and imagine so they know. So so now the gift that you've given your family, now we've all heard it, so you know, better happen in the forest and everything. <laughs> That's right. Right? So as opposed to them going, I don't know, what do you think she would have wanted? Well, maybe here. Mm -hmm. Well, no, no. It's like, oh, it's all here. How nice. And and then doing the best you can, right? But this is just something that, you know, we can normalize any Thing in our society we've normalized mask wearing for heaven's sakes mm -hmm. I mean two years ago people said what are you doing mm -hmm. now you don't even question it I mean think about that hand sanitizer everywhere you turn around we can normalize anything let's normalize these conversations at home at school at work let's do it differently because we can do you think that North Americans are particularly bad at this? Um, or we, yes, <laughs> you do. And do you have any theories about that? 
Well, there's certainly many, there are many cultures that actually celebrate death. And, you know, of course, uh, Day of the Dead in Mexico is beautiful, colorful celebration. I actually have sitting right here, this beautiful skeleton with gorgeous colors. And then every mm. year, right, they, they bring out pictures of those who have died and they celebrate and feast. And I mean, I think that's just extraordinary. And, um, and they, they have a, um, a celebration on Australia. I can't remember, um, the dying day or something. And, and so, you know, they're trying. And I think one of the greatest disadvantages, truthfully, or double-edged sword, I guess I would say is, is our Western society um, has the capacity. So we think to cure anything with our medical technology. Okay. <laughs> we that believe that we can cure anything. Right. And, and so, I mean, I've had, patients who were 105 years old and they were ready to die and they wanted to die and we're giving them blood transfusions mm. like as opposed to allowing a natural death so you know in many cultures and obviously in in other countries th that is not an option so mm -hmm. so whatever medical they have they do their very best and then and then people often die at home right mm -hmm. like here it's like you know, mom lives in the nursing home, the funeral, the funeral parlor takes care of the body. They do everything over there. The person might die in intensive care. So like we we're like sanitizing our society yes. and other places just do not have those options. And truthfully, in, in many cases now, if pain control can be achieved and I mean, I, you know, there are still many countries where people do not die as you know again they, they have pain because they don't have that medical technology right or um but there's such a tremendous movement like i connected with the world alliance for hospice palliative care and i mean they are so committed to having palliative care worldwide which is palliative care is just the greatest quality of life with a life limiting disease you know it's not about very at end of life care and and that's hospice, right? So, so as we as we bring that, it's interesting because in some countries they need that, where in our countries we need to get back to allowing natural death, right? Mm -hmm. Like bringing the the medical, like we don't need to treat everyone till their last breath. <laughs> I see. Do you think that with COVID? Um, uh, our cultures will be forced to um, engage this question more or will we keep doing what we have been doing, which is avoid this uncomfortable subject? Mm. Well, I, I believe that there will be those who say, oh my gosh, I can't wait to jump back into my bubble of denial. And I also believe, right, wow, this has been awkward. It's been in our face so much. And there are those who are saying, you know what? This has been a wake-up call. And I've heard that more so than not. So I am going to be hopeful. And, you know, the more, again, I, I share this message globally, and I've met people from around the world that are saying, we need to do this differently. And I believe that voice is getting louder and louder. And the mm -hmm. more we have like these conversations and we, you know, say, okay, we can do this differently. Um, we will, there'll be more people that are saying, wow, 
that was, you know, it was, it was scary. And there are so many things we were grieving and people didn't even understand that we were grieving. I said, oh my goodness, you know, we've had literally, this literally affected every single person in the world Mm -hmm. in one way or another. Everything from disappointment to devastation to dying alone to, you know, so we have an opportunity. It's kind of like that moment where I felt so like my heart was broken in a million pieces. The world has been in this. And now, you know, when you're, you're kind of sinking at the bottom, you say, okay, now what? Mm-hmm. I don't want to go back when people say I can't wait to turn return to normal. I say, oh my goodness, no way! <laughs> I aspire for so much better. Let's learn. Let's learn from everything that we've been through to create better. Mm-hmm. Are people open to that message? I believe more and more they keep calling me, so that's a good ah, thing. <laughs> I guess so. Right? Yes. And, and, and that's, yes, like, it, it's interesting because um, I connected with um, the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross Foundation, and anyone who is medical knows who Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was, mm-hmm. and I actually had, oh, if you, people go to my website, they can see, I have, a, I have a TV show called Real Life Talks. I interviewed her son, Ken Ross. Oh, my goodness. Yes, so it was just a total. I interviewed Patch Adams and I interviewed Ken Ross oh, and so many goodness. amazing people. But Ken is determined. So, so many people, speaking of grief, you know, Elizabeth wrote this book on death and dying. And, you know, she talked about five stages of grief that in her conversations she witnessed while the whole world went crazy. Oh my God, there's five stages of grief. And I mean, it, they just ran with it. Well, that's not what she meant at all. Like, she wasn't saying that's how we grieve no matter what. She was talking about, you know, this is what she sort of saw in these conversations. She went on to write, like, 24 books and never even Mm -hmm. talked about the stages again. And that's what we kind of glomped onto, right? These five stages of grief. You see it in movies and TV shows. So Ken is being a voice to change that. And he has created the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross Foundation Inter, it is an in, international organization. They just had a webinar series with 11 webinars across, like there were people from every country in the world, which was so mm. extraordinary. I got to speak for that organization. And then I spoke for Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, Argentina. I saw that. How so cool is exciting. that? So, you know, what that tells me is that the world is hungry for knowledge, connection, and change when it comes to grief, death, and dying. Mm. And and um, it sounds like this is uh, the obvious uh, answer, but it sounds like what you're saying is this is your legacy. Oh. This is the legacy you're building. I am so in love. It's like, why do you, people say, why did you choose to do this? Like, oh, please, it chose me. And so my legacy and is of course love your life to death my book and everything and the i just showed up movement which teaches people of all ages how to just show up for themselves and others so they are empowered sorry that word empowered and resilient (laughs) when grief Mm. arrives because when you don't know what to do and you don't know what to say it's awkward it's uncomfortable and you can't fix it the magic answer is just show up. 
And I love your examples of this, Yvonne, and some of them have been done for me. You mentioned uh, walk the dogs. Um, you know, when I was in chemo, try as I might, and I am a hardcore dog walker, yeah. just could not Couldn't do, do it. it. And I had a friend who was one of my dog walking buddies and just walked my dog for me. And you think, oh, okay, well, big deal. It was a big it deal. It is a big deal. It is, And there's tremendous grief in what you're talking about. You're like, I want to walk my dog. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do this chemo. I'm grief. Do you see, even in there, there's grief in that. Mm -hmm. And we need to acknowledge that and say, yeah, this is hard. And, mm -hmm. and then, right, acknowledge and allow those feelings and then allow people to just show up for you, right? Mm -hmm. I have no doubt your friend was delighted to help you mm -hmm. in that way and it meant something to you as well so you see when I say to people I know you can't fix it and it's uncomfortable don't wait for it to be comfortable <laughs> it's not comfortable mm -hmm. just show up anyways I don't and it could be any and I think what I, I love about your message is it could be as quirky as your relationship it doesn't have to be here's your casserole oh, you know yeah. it can be i have some peonies that are blooming right now and i'm going to put them in a mason jar and send them over and Absolutely. you know that's a moment for you and it makes you feel good but boy it's hard to even imagine what that's like for the other person just to feel that kindness that that kindness that you know validation and um lyle benjamin has this beautiful movement called pack planned acts of kindness and i mean random acts of kindness are great even better planned acts of kindness so when you know mm. your friend is going through chemotherapy that means that she may be emotionally physically mentally mm -hmm. exhausted just show up for her, walk the dog, cut the grass, pick, pick up kids, bring food. The smallest mm -hmm. gestures when you're struggling are just so gorgeous. My So this new neighborhood I just moved into, as I mentioned, I injured my foot. Our, our cute little neighbor, and I knew her before, I saw her, she sends her husband over with this heating lamp for my foot. <laughs> now, isn't that just mm -hmm. the sweetest thing ever? I just, and that's just like, beautiful. It gets to the, the real core of our humanity. Oh, it meant so much to me, right? And and like I shared in my TED Talk when I was going through so much and people were avoiding me because, it, you know, when you have a son with addictions, talk about awkward, hello, yes, it's awkward, try mm -hmm. being the person or the mom, but people were avoiding me. And then on one that really hard day, this beautiful neighbor just put a little pot of daffodils on my front step. Oh. Like, right? She wasn't She wasn't even there when I got there. Just this pot of daffodils. And I, mm -hmm. I literally cried for an hour. Mm -hmm. And we are talking this 11, 12 years ago. I still talk about those daffodils. And I have fake daffodils in my office here to com commemorate it. And I spoke of it in my TED Talk. Did she see the TED Talk when you when you used those I told, daffodils? I, I said, by the way, you should, I said, have you seen my TED Talk? So no, I have to watch that. I said, well, yeah, you should. Your daffodils are in it. Hello. I love that. Watch my I TED Talk. That. <laughs> that is so yes. beautiful. It means so much. So, mm -hmm. you know, the, and it's twofold though, right? Because the greatest lesson with that just showing up the first thing you need to do, and I mean, we could talk about this for a whole hour, but that whole self-care piece, oh yeah, we should be great self-care givers, or oh yeah, I need to take care of myself. No, no, no. 
it's non-negotiable. Mm. <laughs> you are in charge of your own happiness. That is your responsibility. Coping skills, strategies, plan your life, plan your end of life, and just show up for yourself first because guess what? When you do, you will be able to just show up for others and you are being a great example, right? And and so when I'm able to shine my light, I'm feeling very shiny today. So I'm shining my light today. <laughs> there are days I don't feel so shiny and it's like, you know what? I might be having a little pity party just for the next hour and I'm only going to show up for myself. And um, uh, no judgment. I think I might uh, binge on Grey's Anatomy for the next hour and a half because mm-hmm. I, I just need to check out or, you know, and we need to be really great at that because then we can teach others by our own example. But you're talking about being tuned in enough to know, hey, I need some Grey's Anatomy or I need to walk, you know, in the woods or I need to make some beautiful something in the kitchen. I think, you know, that sounds simple, but there's a lot of reasons why it's difficult, particularly now when we're scrolling our brains out. Yeah. Yes. And we make we complicate things, right? We complicate things. And 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 one of the things I do tell people, because I can recharge in five minutes in nature. So when people say I don't have time, I say, then what can you do to change that? Because that is up to you. If you cannot spend half an hour a day on self-care or going for a walk in the forest. And first of all, you need to know what refills your soul and refuels your soul, right? Walking in nature, just like you, Nicole, that that does it Mm -hmm. for me. Walking my dog in the forest, I'm done. So Mm -hmm. I know, and and we all created self-care toolboxes in in our home because when I'm grieving, I also, I know I can't think well, so I go to my self-care toolbox. First thing is in there is a duck and a branch. Oh yeah, I need to get outside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just to remind mm-hmm. me, right? Basics. Basics. And if you cannot create that time, if your schedule is so tight that you can't, uh, what can you do to change that? Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, it is challenging being at home. We have to acknowledge and allow that grief. And now what? What can you do? And I I constantly am reminding people is that we do not have to socially distance. We have to physically distance. There's a very big difference. Mm -hmm. And when you feel zoomed out, I get it. Go outside, hug a tree, stick your feet in some sand, some water, whatever, and then get back in there and zoom your grandmother. Because when I was in high school, we didn't have this technology, you know, and like, I mean, this could have been happening then and we would be fighting over the landline. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is a gift. This is a gift that we get to connect globally with people all around the world. Mm-hmm. So so find that that, you know, what what is going to feed your soul. And for like I said, if you have five minutes, go outside for five minutes and be very intentional about standing there, feeling your feet in the grass, slow, deep breaths. And stand under a tree and get some fractals too. Yes. And 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 the reality is, you know, I I don't want to be harsh, but many people are watching hours of Netflix or TikToks. Yes. So that is true that maybe they feel like, oh, I've run out of time. But but maybe it's time to say, well, what are you using your time for? And is it recharging? Is it recharging you? We all have the same amount of time. 
I don't even allow people to tell me they're busy anymore or, oh my God, I don't have time. It's like, no, we all have the same amount of time and you're prioritizing. So what are you prioritizing? That's all there is to it. Like for me, before I decided to crack my foot, but I worked out every day. That's non-negotiable or six days mm -hmm. a week downstairs in my basement. And I will, I get up at 530 in the morning because I like that quiet time to myself. That is what... That is what refuels me. And so everyone needs to figure out when their good time of day is, create that time for themselves and recharge. Because truthfully, when you are a great example of that, then the other people in your family will also be happier and self-reliant because they don't have to worry about you. And you're being a great example. You're teaching mm -hmm. them how to just show up for themselves first. Yeah. So win wins. That's that's really important. So where can people find out more about Love Your Life to Death and also the Just Show Up movement? Mm, awesome. It's everything people can reach out. My TED Talk, everything is at loveyourlifetodeath.com. Okay. Okay. And you have some courses and all kinds of stuff. I have all kinds of juicy stuff. Well, I just, you know, I want information available to people in every modality and when people mm -hmm. I mean if they follow me they'll get 10 tips on navigating life grief and everything in between and my weekly blog is just you know it's just real life what's happening in life and um and just acknowledging the good stuff and the other stuff and how how we can just show up for ourselves and each other that's really beautiful. Thank you so much, Yvonne. I think that you offer such a, an important lesson and, and no time more important than now. People are really at a loss. And I know that you probably already know this, but as therapists, we just cannot keep up with the demand and record numbers. You know, people just lining up who have never use services before but are saying I don't think I should be doing this alone I, I'm not doing well so uh, these are such important lessons and so I really appreciate you spending time with me today and 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 helping our audience learn how to navigate and uh, be more comfortable with the grieving process well, thank you so much, Nicole, for just showing up and for just showing up for your audience. And, you know, it's um, I my greatest mission is to support the supporters like those supporting those who are grieving because, you know, it, it is a lot. It is a lot to carry and you're going through your own personal stuff. And so the professionals are truly my heart because that's what I was. And I would have loved someone to teach me how to just show up. <laughs> that's right. Yes. That's yes. Right. So important yes. for professionals to just show up for themselves first and challenging. Yes. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you Thanks. so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. 
But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And Too Much Stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, Being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.